It's go time. We're in the midst of negotiation week in the Canadian Football League. It's minus 30 in central Saskatchewan, and we've just come out of a blizzard. You can't get much better than that. Welcome everyone, Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. The regulars are back with you for another show, uh, another quick kicks coming your way. We're going to be talking a lot about the Canadian Football League, especially when we look first to those free agents that are technically not free agents, but are in that negotiation window right now, as Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation would call it, the tampering window. I don't care for that terminology, but it it is funny. It it is something that the CFL a few years back said, enough is enough. We're just going to formalize this process, give you a week to talk. And then at the end of it all, you either take the offer, the team can match, or, and here we are in in the middle of that, rumors flying everywhere. Where do you start? Jagarrett Davis could be an Argonaut. Mazzoli could be in Edmonton or in Ottawa. Take your pick. The Jeremiah Mazzoli free agency is probably the big name this go-around and it doesn't come as a surprise to anyone I don't think that Edmonton and Ottawa are interested in his services they were the two worst teams in the league last season and looking for some improvements an all-star quarterback like Jeremiah Mazzoli is one that is worth the look he's 33 years old he's probably got a couple of seasons left where he's going to be a top quality quarterback so it's time for those two teams to have a good look and make them an offer on both teams want to win now and if you can get a quarterback with the experience of jeremiah mazzoli you've got to go all in it seems like chris jones is trying to develop a veteran team in edmonton as much as anything by the signings that he's had and the interest that he's shown in players that are technically coming available we know that the tiger cats are not going to re-sign mazzoli i think that that was the indication once Dane Evans put pen to paper. With that opportunity now for Mazzoli, he did start his career in Edmonton, although he didn't really play. He's been with the Tiger Cats since 2013, so technically that's his only home, but he is a Western kid. He's he's from that coast. He might be more interested in heading that direction because it's closer to his home. That's certainly the speculation that he'd, he'd love to be out in the West Coast, getting closer to home. And, uh, you know, the, the Elks, I think, could use a veteran quarterback of Jeremiah Masoli's stature to step in for the next few years at least while they continue to um, grow a quarterback that can step into the role as a starter rather than having to be thrown into the fire. We've seen some flashes of brilliance from some of the quarterbacks they have there, but, but certainly the lack of experience showed. So a player of Jeremiah Masoli's caliber if he's wants to be near to the west coast he gets to edmonton i think they could do some good things if jeremiah mazzoli ends up with the edmonton elks what does this mean once again for nick arbuckle he is closing in quickly on kevin glenn territory here where he's going to have a look from just about every team in the league and with taylor cornelius showing what he was capable of you have to think that if Mazzoli gets starting quarterback money in Edmonton, Arbuckle might be bounced around yet again. He would probably most likely become trade bait once again, as you indicate. 
we talk about Cornelius as if he's a raw rookie. He did. He didn't play in every game, but he played most of them. And I don't consider him a rookie anymore. I think he's a second year player. We have to afford a little bit of experience to that body of work. And I don't think you need Mazzoli there to be a three to five year starter before Cornelius is ready to go. I, I don't buy that at all. I think what you do is you start Cornelius and you have Mazzoli as the backup. If by saying that, that means Arbuckle is on his way out. Does Arbuckle wind up in British Columbia? In I mean, where does he go? Winnipeg? I don't know. I would venture to say the Red Blacks may want him too. They have a quarterback in Caleb Evans and it helps to have a veteran backup there as well. So to me, that would be a logical place for him. Either team, whether it's going to Ottawa to be a backup or going to Edmonton if Ottawa is successful in, in courting uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli. Think about this. Arbuckle has played, what, 16 games and Caleb Evans around 12? Not a lot of difference there in terms of CFL experience. So I don't think you're getting a veteran with Arbuckle other than the fact that he's been around the league, mm -hmm. but he hasn't had that game experience. And I think that's the real tell test in terms of what anybody can put on their Vitae. How many times have I walked across those stripes to throw a football? You mentioned the BC Lions, and that is a very interesting prospect in my mind. They have Nathan Rourke as their quarterback of note right now. And again, another player that has a few starts under his belt now. Nathan Rourke and Nick Arbuckle duo in BC is very intriguing. And we've seen a lot of money that they've tossed around at wide receivers at this point. So having a couple of quarterbacks that they can platoon to get those guys the ball would be quite the scene. The variance I see in BC in having Nathan Rourke there is with Michael Riley. He didn't take a lot of the reps during the week this last season. So Rourke took the majority of first team reps through the practice week where Riley stepped on to play. So he had an awful lot of time to gel with the quarterbacks. And obviously the BC general managers and, and brass are high on work and have anointed him the starter there. So I think it will be interesting to see where some of these others haven't always had the first reps the whole year while they've played. It's been jumped in a bit and they've, they've had a period of time of the first rep. So I think Rourke is of the three when we talk about Cornelius, Evans or Rourke. He's going to be the one I think that's going to have the most immediate impact as a potential starter. The head coach of the British Columbia Lions, Rick Campbell, he said without prompting that Rourke was his starting quarterback going into 2022. That gives him the keys to the car. It's up to him now, given his understanding of the Canadian game, given his skill set. I saw a lot of great things about Rourke's play last year that really impressed me. And I thought maybe, maybe, maybe he would be starting this year anyway. Now with Riley moving out of the way, frees up a lot of cap space, probably 600,000. That does free up BC to get some weaponry around Rourke. And if Kenny Lawler is on that list and the types of numbers that I've heard being tossed at him, they are spending some serious dollars. They've just re-signed Brian Burnham to an extension. We've already accounted that Lucky Whitehead is back. Javon Katoy is also back with the Lions. That is a tremendous group of people that he would have available to him if that offensive line, which is really the problem in British Columbia, if it can be shored up. They've re-signed Figueroa and Suk Chung. They do believe in these people. So they want them to come together. If they do, 
watch out. BC could be something special because that defense was starting to round into shape at the end of the season last year too. And the Lions could be a threat this year. Things are shaping up that the Lions are going to be an aerial attack. I don't see a big running game from them right now with the money that they're throwing around at the receivers. And you're right, Don, if they can get that offensive line short up and protect Nathan Rourke, give him a chance to throw the ball. We've seen he's got a strong arm. And and if he's got the opportunity to let it fly, they could be putting a lot of points on the board. Ja'Garrett Davis is a huge prospect that's sitting out there right now. I'm sure that the Tiger Cats want to sign him, but the question is the dollars. Do they have enough? Dylan Wynn sits on the sideline wondering what's going on. Maybe it's a question of if they don't get Ja'Garrett Davis, then more money becomes available and Dylan Wynn is their guy. This is a huge next few days for the Tiger Cats. They've pretty much shored up the back end of the defense. The defensive backs are all there. The linebackers are all back. Uh, Santos Knox, Javon Santos Knox just signed. They are primed and ready on the defense. They just have to get that defensive line shored up. You have to think with the likelihood of not re-signing Jeremiah Mazzoli and Brandon Banks having parted ways with the team, it has to have freed up a bit of money for them as well. Jagera Davis and Wynn are both going to demand pretty high salaries as far as defensive players go, but I believe that they would have some of that room freed up now with those other two that I mentioned not coming back. You would think that if you're Hamilton, you want both of them back. You need some pressure from the outside. Defensive ends are not a dime a dozen. If you got a good one, they are worth every penny you pay them. It will be interesting to see where Jagarit Davis lands because if he takes the offer that's purportedly on the table from Toronto, he has an opportunity to reunite with the defensive coordinator, Corey Mace. They were together in Calgary. It brings some familiarity and he was extremely successful in Calgary as well. It'll be a question of where does he feel they may have the best opportunity to make a run for the playoffs? In some cases, we often forget the players get the playoff bonus. They want to be on a team that's going to be in the playoffs. And is Hamilton on a downswing? We've discussed that before. They've held on to many of their older players. Is it one more opportunity to move forward and get back to the Grey Cup? Or is Toronto going to take that next step? The Argonauts have signed McLeod Bethel-Thompson again. He's that type of glue that just never, you can never get off your hands once you get it there. He's, uh, he, he is an interesting character. He certainly uh, pouted after the East final and took it out on one of the TSN camera crew. The Argonauts aren't going to lose anything by having him in the fold because he is a well-liked player in the locker room. He does have a good skill set. It's just as you saw in 2021, as the season went on, either teams started to figure him out or he just wasn't as effective on the field. The Argos... I'm curious to see if they've got another quarterback in mind that they want to bring in. Now, it could be on their negotiation list, or do they go into the Mazzoli sweepstakes at all at right at the end? If we look at the quarterbacks with game experience in the CFL that have not signed yet, obviously Jeremiah Mazzoli's at the top of that list. We've also got Trevor Harris. We've got Matthew Schiltz. We've got Michael O'Connor, who hasn't seen a lot of game time, but is a, another product of that Calgary quarterback system that might be available as well so there's a few pieces still moving around as far as the quarterbacks go some of them at a very high price tag and some of them a little bit lower so you might see some 
tandem quarterback situations again, like we've seen on some of those successful teams. If you can get the quarterback that you want to fit the role, this is the big question. We tend to believe that there are 18 quality quarterbacks that are available to divide among the nine teams. But it's amazing how many times a quarterback that comes out of college looks fantastic, has great numbers, great highlight package, and the Canadian game just is beyond them. And we look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a team that has a one quarterback system right now. We, we saw a little bit of Drew Brown and a little bit of Sean McGuire in game action last year. Neither one of them blew us away with their performance. Are, are they looking to maybe land one of these other guys at a little bit of a discounted price as well for some security if something does happen to Zach Kolaris? And speaking of Winnipeg, Chris Strevler's name continues to pop up a little bit in the CFL as well. So it's quite possible that he's going to get some contract offers coming his way. It really depends for Streveler whether or not there's any interest coming from NFL franchises. If nothing happens, you can't sit too long because these openings will close. Arbuckle might wind up in Winnipeg. Uh, Matthew Schiltz might wind up in Winnipeg. Anything could happen once we hit absolute free agency. We don't know yet if the Alouettes are not going to re-sign Schiltz. He's been a loyal player with them. I'd be surprised. It's not like he's going to ask for big money. Now, he does have a business interest accounting firm, so that could play into it too. And if the money isn't there, then taking time off to play football just may not be in the cards anymore. But that's a question that he's got to resolve for himself. On the defensive side, we talked a little bit about some defensive line opportunities in Hamilton and Micah Johnson and Steve Richardson are a couple of other defensive line players right now that we haven't heard any rumors as to who's having a look at them. I have to believe that Winnipeg is doing everything in their power to sign Richardson, but they have invested a lot in some of their other returning veteran players. So he's a guy that might have a look elsewhere. And Micah Johnson, we don't know where he fits in anymore with the Riders scheme and where he might end up. The Riders haven't signed McKenna Henry either. And there's another guy that plays in the middle of that line. There's some uh, thought out there that the Elks are going to go hard after Henry. It's a Canadian. That's a ratio buster. I don't know. Micah Johnson, if I had the opportunity to retain him, I think it'd be in not much out in my mind I'd want him in that line he does a lot he's a force down the middle and he I think led the the CFL last year in tackles behind the line of scrimmage I mean you're going to have him move up the middle and make plays no matter where he lands so it's going to be interesting to see what Saskatchewan does we heard from Jeremy O'Day that some of the the players will not be invited back we saw a tweet come out from Ed Ganey we now know it's confirmed by O'Day that Ganey was not or is not going to be offered a, a contract. We're hearing that as well about John Ryan as a kicker. Saskatchewan's got a lot of pieces out there on defense. Purifoy as well, Michael Johnson, who we've already mentioned, McKenna Henry. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who comes back and how they build the defense. Saskatchewan had a fairly decent defense last season. It's a bit of a surprise that you would think that they would let so many parts leave via free agency. Now, granted, again, we're in the middle of this negotiation period. This podcast will drop towards the end of it, but there's still going to be a couple more days where teams can throw out offers to anybody that's a potential free agent. 
the riders may match and they may keep some people around. It's just most GMs, as Rob Vanstone who from the Leader Post mentioned when he was on our show, they've got their list, eight to 10 guys, must-haves. Then there's the secondary list, another 10 guys. Be nice if we could get them, but we'll, we'll live if we don't. And where do you fit on those lists, I guess, ultimately decides your fate sometimes in terms of how hard a team will go after you. Ed Gainey's a bit of a surprise to me. There has to be a lot of pressure on Jeremy O'Day and his staff with the Grey Cup being in Regina coming up this season. We we all know the last time it was in Regina, it was a, a huge Grey Cup victory for the riders. And the province went absolutely crazy. And you, you've got to think that O'Day is really looking at that repeat of the 2013 Grey Cup in order to do it again. And he's got a lot of work and a lot of pressure on him to get the right pieces in place to put a, a championship team on the field. Their starting quarterback, Cody Fajardo, did take a bit of a cut in his salary for the 2022 season. He did get an uptick in his signing bonus to sort of compensate for that. He still made some money available to sign somebody. So the riders must have somebody that they're thinking about. It's a question of who. And Jeremy O'Day, at the best of times, plays his cards very close. Well, Duke Williams, I think, is their number one choice. And Jeremy O'Day needs to free up some money because Duke Williams will command some of the top salaries for a wide receiver in the league. If they can't bring in Duke Williams, I think there's going to be some disappointment in Ryder Nation. Particularly, and Heath, I agree with you, the pressure's gone up. But particularly, when we look at what's happened in Winnipeg, where they seem to have brought back the main core of their players, and yet Saskatchewan hasn't really accomplished that at this point in time. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Where Winnipeg is lacking at the moment is in the receiver positions and the running back position. Uh, we talked in the last episode about the philosophy in Winnipeg of building from the line out. And it certainly looks like Kenny Lawler is going to be moving on. He's unfortunately for the Bombers priced himself out of what they're able to do. But we did see Drew Olatarski resign and we saw Rashid Bailey resign. So they have a couple of pieces in place already. You've got to wonder what next season holds for a player like Darvin Adams. He had a bit of an off season in 2021. Until the playoffs, he made a, a key touchdown reception. So he might be a guy that comes back at a reduced price and uh, and can pick up some of that slack from losing losing Kenny Lawler. The one thing that we we noticed about Darvin Adams was that he was becoming more of a team guy, blocking, basically taking one for the team so that other guys could succeed. And he did that in spades. He did. He, he bought into Winnipeg's system for sure. I do wonder if Andrew Harris will come back. You know, I, I think he's going to want to be paid fairly well. I believe they're going to go out two of the three Canadian running backs they have. And it's a question of which one is the odd man out. And for the price that they've been bringing people back, I'm not sure they can afford either Lawler or Andrew Harris. Harris, the problem for Winnipeg is how much money do you want to invest? The window is starting to close on that team. Like some of these guys now are getting into their 30s. What Winnipeg is looking at is they're building from the success of the last two seasons. And you're right. I, I see it coming down the pipe in the next couple of seasons where it's going to be a complete reload for Winnipeg. They 
have a small window right now it's led to two championships and they want that third one in a row and get that dynasty tag if you will and that's what they're focused on it could be some thin years coming up in the near future for winnipeg again but if they keep that management team of kyle walters and mike o'shea in place they have a system and a, a philosophy that seems to work and it might be a retool but i think if they continue with what what they've done as that template for success they will bounce back quickly Stampeders have signed Kadeem Carey to a two-year deal. The Stampeders have also signed who I thought was one of their biggest influence makers once he arrived last season was linebacker Jameer Thurman, who to me, his upside is through the roof. He is a monster on defense. He is. Those are two key pieces for the Stampeders. And to have both back, I think, is going to help them potentially take that next step as well. Kadeem Carey is now reported to have the highest annual uh, running back salary. We get to see how does he continue to produce because we've certainly seen growth in the last couple of years. You wonder if he can continue that growth in 2022. Calgary has retooled pretty well, all told. John Huffnagel, if there's anything he does know how to do, it's to keep that team competitive. Dave Dickinson, his responsibility is to make sure it does so on the field. I'm sure he's happy to have Carey back because... That offloads a little bit of the pressure on the quarterbacking situation. If you've got that two-pronged attack where you've got a really strong running back and a good quarterback, and we're hoping that the shoulder of Bo Levi Mitchell will be much better in 2022, Calgary could be a team to watch as well. To be that close and not retool and go back at it, which we've seen in Winnipeg, where we, we see the key pieces in Hamilton coming together. It's what are those missing pieces that they can maybe retool as you mentioned on and and if they can get who they want the alouettes to me are the team and we've talked about this before where they're on the verge they've had two semifinals they've lost them both it's about time now that they make that next step they've been rather quiet about their signings they've picked up a couple of receivers nick usher was a huge extension but they haven't done a lot of other things including eastern nominee david menard is still available when you get all-star that usually ups your value you may not fit within the cap if we look at the teams that have kind of made the biggest splash in re-signing their players we, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week in the teams that were successful last year like what they have and you're seeing a lot of those re-signings and calgary hamilton and winnipeg are certainly the front runners as far as that goes of, of retaining their free agents there's a lot of players out there that maybe don't quite fit into the systems we've got some new general managers there's a lot of retooling and Montreal we we know a couple of the big names have re-signed Jake Wenicke is the one that jumps out to me that has not re-signed I'm I'm wondering what's going on in that negotiation and if he is seriously looking at other options or if he's just got a price in mind and he's waiting for Montreal to get to where he wants them to be It's always interesting, and we're guilty of this, as many other podcasts and and media are. We always talk about how the player drives the bus. The agent, more often than not, drives the bus when it comes to negotiations. Valuation is one of the hardest things to determine when you're looking at signing a player, whether it's one year, two year, three year. Wieneke may be falling into that, where the pressure is on to make your money while you can. The agent 
is that's what his job does to max it out. And the team looks at it and goes, well, we can do this, but we can't do that. That's very true. And, and it's one of the challenges in a salary cap league of any sort as well. And you, you look at sports like the National Hockey League, where a guy who's the best player in the league might not be anywhere near the top paid player in the league because of the way the caps work in length of contract. So those things can play in as well. We talked about the BC Lions and the extension that they signed Lucky Whitehead to versus what they're paying Brian Burnham. Two years ago, you never would have imagined that Lucky Whitehead would be making that much more than than Brian Burnham, but here we are. And now the rumor out there is that they're going to pay Kenny Lawler 50000 a season more than what they're paying to Lucky Whitehead. It's the, the math in negotiating in a salary cap era is incredible. Problem I have with the Kenny Lawler number, I, I just, I find it interesting that the Lions would throw, if that 250 is what it is, that much money at him. Granted, they've given up the salary of Mike Riley with his retirement, so they don't have to worry about that. In my mind, I don't want to necessarily put all that into one player or half of that into one player. It's an awful lot of money to invest in one receiver. BC had a talented receiving core last year without Lawler. Does Lawler make them better? I think there's no question. But is he going to be that much better? Is it going to open up opportunities for everyone else? I'm not sure that it does. I'm not sure the return on investment is going to meet what the offer is. And that that's the key. I think it's also the GM's responsibility to take a look at who they have coming up on the practice roster or in the backup position. In a case like Jake Weineke, where we started this discussion, Montreal may have some receivers in their cadre of receivers that may be guys that can step up. And they have to determine, are we willing to spend 180, 200,000 to keep Jake Weineke because he got so many touchdowns last year? Or is it a better value to move that somewhere else and bring a player in that's going to help them win? That's a tough call. One of the ch- one of the challenges when you start throwing that much money at receivers is there's still only one football in play at any given time. And how do you keep all of those egos happy? You have to have a, a great coaching staff and offensive coordinator that can get the players to buy into the system. I believe all three of those BC Lions receivers that we mentioned, as well as Katoy, are going to want a big piece of that that football at any given time. And how do you keep all of those guys happy? It's going to be interesting and fun to watch. Jake Weineke, his first year with the Alouettes, 569 yards of receiving. His second year, 898. 19 touchdowns over those two years. By comparison, Lawler with Winnipeg, 637 his first year, 1,014 his second year, 10 touchdowns. Who's the bigger threat? Weineke. Where would I put my money? Weineke. And that may be why he's holding out when he's seeing these other people. And that's that's the, the player's opportunity to take a look and see what the other guys are getting. And potentially that increases their value based on what they bring to the to the team. If those numbers are being tossed around for sure, and again, it comes back to that agent. Gotta understand the the temper of the room, where what the what the feel is, where where is this all going? And if He's got the Lions talking to Lawler and saying, we're tossing that around. He might be the agent for both players, for all we know. I'm I'm sorry, I don't know. That's his responsibility. He's got to figure out. If they're going to go that high, then I've got to bring my guy somewhere in that range because his numbers are comparable. 
As Heath said, the math is difficult. I can't imagine what it's like to be a GM and have all these pieces in the fire right now and offers out and trying to determine how the chips will fall and can I make it fit within my salary structure. Well, we've seen a lot of it already with Hamilton. I mean, look at Brandon Banks not being there anymore. And that had to be about money. I was going to say, where does he fit in salary-wise now? If we look at 200000 250000 for a, a younger receiver like Lucky Whitehead and Kenny Lawler seem to be trending towards, is Brandon Banks still a $200,000 receiver in this league given the injury history and, and some of the issues that he's had over the last season? And will he be willing to sign somewhere for one hundred and twenty-five, hundred and fifty thousand if he's not seeing the numbers that he was hoping for? That's a great question. At one hundred and fifty, that's not a bad payday. Just where though? Does he go to Ottawa? Does he go to Toronto? I don't imagine he's coming out west. When you look at Brandon Banks, thirty-four years old, and you're saying, okay, what production level did he have last year, and is it potential to go up the next year or not? <laughs> the diminishing returns at, at that age for a receiver are definitely going to be minimizing, I would say, compared to a, another veteran player. You could potentially bring Ricky Collins in at a lesser amount as a veteran receiver that could do the same thing. It, it's a real puzzle. Well, there are a lot of receivers coming available from the Elks, mm-hmm. and that might saturate the market in one sense. I mean, Darrell Walker, I don't imagine he's going to be resigning with that team. Ellingson is another one. Like I said before, Ricky Collins Jr., you've got a lot of quality receivers that are experienced, that, that are a known commodity that could help teams out. What will they get paid in the end, or is there just too many there? A name that a couple of years ago we talked about almost ad nauseum, Devere Posey. He's available again. I don't know what happened in that career path that just went south so fast. Yeah, he is. <laughs> There's lots out there. B.J. Cunningham's another one. And the, and the Alouettes, this is, again, going back to the Alouettes. What do they want to do? I mean, this is Danny Machocha now that's making the choices, and he has a different design on what he wants to do. We'll see where that takes the Alouettes, but he, he's got to be cognizant, and I'm sure he is, that, hey, this team has won more than it's lost the last couple of seasons, made playoffs. I don't want to regress right now. I want to progress. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. <laughs>